Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté here with Max Blumenthal. He is the senior editor of The Gray Zone, author of several books, including his latest, The Management of Savagery. Max, let's talk about Honduras, uh, where you recently reported from. Big news coming out of uh, there recently, where the president, uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez, was recently named uh, by a U.S. district court as a co-conspirator in a drug trafficking case. This comes amidst ongoing protests in Honduras uh, that have pretty much been ignored by the corporate media against his presidency. Talk about what's going on there. Right. A federal court in New York accused Juan Orlando Hernandez, the U.S.-backed president of Honduras, of financing his presidential campaign in 2017, in which he, according to the Organization of American States, stole the election just straight up stole it, shut down the vote for a few nights and then declared himself the victor with $1.5 million in profits from cocaine sales. Uh, Hernandez's brother, Tony Hernandez, was arrested in Miami and is currently facing trial for drug trafficking. And uh, he's one of the things he's accused of is of receiving bags of cocaine with his initials on them. I don't know if those initials stood for something else, but you know, it doesn't seem very wise. Clearly something's going on there. We hear very little about this in U.S. media, but more than that, there is a national uprising in Honduras that has been going on since 2017, um, since the theft of the election. And it involves all sectors of society, um, indigenous people in the countryside, urban students, doctors who are protesting the privatization of the medical system, People are protesting the privatization of the National Energy Company. Um, and other people, instead of protesting, are just leaving, which has caused this, fueled this migration crisis in the US. And what they're essentially protesting is one of the most extreme laboratories for neoliberalism in the Western Hemisphere, which has occurred under the watch of an Obama administration that installed this right wing regime through a coup in 2009 and continues with the Trump administration. Um, so, you know, it's really remarkable to be in Honduras and to notice the contrast with Venezuela where society's polarized along class lines and also along racial lines. In Honduras, there's just a consensus for getting rid of this government and particularly Juan Orlando Hernandez because it's just been such a failure and a disaster. And so, you know, when you go to a bar, when people toast at the bar, they say, fuera ho. And the whole bar will cry out, fuera ho, doesn't matter what neighborhood you're in, even in an upscale neighborhood in Tegucigalpa. Um, and I witnessed this. Fuera ho means, you know, leave, ho, J-O-H are his initials. Um, and yet again, you hear constantly about the protests in Hong Kong where people are protesting a basically essentially against China, which is emerging as America's, the United States' number one adversary in the world. But here you have right in our hemisphere, a country which has been driven into ruin by the US government and people are mounting a national uprising that is being brutally repressed by security forces that are trained by the FBI and by the US military, which has its largest military base in the Western hemisphere in Honduras. Um, I visited it, you can go to our YouTube channel, um, our Gray Zone YouTube channel. and see my visit to the Palmarola Air Base, where I think you know, 2,500 US troops are currently living. And uh, so it's a, such a, it's, it's a country that's so relevant to what's happening in the US. And if you remember, 
starting in 2014, we started hearing about children coming to the border unaccompanied who were winding up in cages. We still hear about this. We hear about it more because Trump is president. These are largely people and children from Honduras um, who are fleeing an economic crisis imposed on them by the US and, US and international financial institutions. And I think that this migration crisis played a substantial role in Donald Trump's election. It was blowback from policies under Obama that I wrote, the kind of blowback that I wrote about in the management of savagery in the Middle East, but this is in our own hemisphere. And Trump milked this blowback to demonize these migrants and to pledge to build the wall and to get tough on them without talking about the root cause of the crisis. And it's tied not just to the migrant crisis, but also to the current presidential campaign, because you have a recent piece out in the gray zone uh, pointing out that Joe Biden played a very instrumental role in all of this. Uh, how is Joe Biden um, partly responsible for the violence and oppression in Honduras and then uh, the migrant uh, crisis that the turmoil in Honduras has caused? Yeah, I mean, there's this 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 sort of framing of Biden as a senile figure who is just doddering through this campaign, talking about his longtime time friend, friend, and he can't really form a coherent thought. He's being portrayed as unelectable. Uh, but the real issue is that even if he is senile, he still embodies a program, uh, both domestically and internationally, that has been catastrophic, and he's very proud of his role in sh his very activist role in Congress and as Vice President in shaping that program. So Biden has gone out on the campaign trail and boasted that he was an architect, in his own words, of Plan Colombia, which militarized the country of Colombia and led to a pattern of ca just outrageous human rights abuses, including the false positive scandal, where in order to justify getting more of the billions of dollars in US military aid to wage this counterinsurgency campaign against FARC, um, officers of the Colombian military lured a bunch of rural laborers, 20-something rural laborers to a faraway location, massacred them just in cold blood, and then dressed them up in FARC guerrilla uniforms and said, well, we killed more members of FARC, so send us the money. This is the legacy of Joe Biden along with you know, spraying poison on rural coca farmers, along with the fact that coca production in Colombia is at a record high um, and the whole thing failed. And yet he's going around bragging that he was the architect of Plan Colombia. And he's also boasted that he um, addressed the root causes of the migration crisis through the Alliance for Prosperity, which substantially propped up figures like Juan Orlando Hernandez along with the um, right-wing governments of the other Northern Triangle countries, Guatemala and El Salvador. And you know what Biden actually did, and he was the salesman for this program. In 2015, he rolled it out in the op-ed page of the New York Times. He went to Congress to secure the $750 million for this program. What he did was he exploited the migration crisis to impose a more extreme form of neoliberal, um, I don't know what you could call it, Milton Friedman style economics, the kind of economics we saw imposed on Chile in the 70s on a very vulnerable country like Honduras after a coup regime was imposed. And you know Biden 
took the 750 million, put the Inter-American Development Bank, which is basically a U.S. Um, it, it's, it's a U.S. instrument for managing uh, international finance, financial institutions' roles in uh, Latin America, and implemented a plan to privatize all of the state, the state energy company, um, and the medical sector. And so Honduras was placed at the center of Plan de Pueblo Panama, which had been kind of in the works for many years. And what this plan aimed to do was to build an electricity grid extending from Mexico all the way down to Panama with Honduras at the center. Honduras has a lot of rivers um, as well as you know mountains and has vast natural resources. And what I saw when I was in Honduras were um, international energy companies building hydroelectric plants as part of this Alliance for Prosperity to take the rivers of Honduras and use that to fuel this regional energy plan. And of course, it necessitates privatizing the energy company. That raises electricity bills for everyone. And in a country with 66% extreme poverty rate, many people can't pay their electricity bills. Their kids can't do their homework at night. They can't do basic tasks. So they leave and they migrate north. Another factor, this was an, an, another side effect of this was um, the assault on the indigenous communities which are being destroyed by these hydroelectric dams. Their rivers are drying up. They can't irrigate their crops. Um, their way of life is being destroyed. And in the region of Intibuca, which we visited, um, a company called DESA from Chile has hired death squads to kill and intimidate those environmentalists and indigenous activists who have gotten in its way. In Intibuca, the Caceres family uh, were the leaders of the environmental movement. Their political bigwigs who are very progressive. Berta Caceres was an internationally recognized environmentalist leader from this area. She was assassinated by death squads, hired by DESA. The company itself, its executives, included a former West Point officer and veterans of Honduran intelligence and military who were trained by the U.S. at the School of the Americas. Um, and we, uh, me, Anya Parampil and Ben Norton, visited the home where Berta Caceres grew up. You, the first thing you notice is there's a police guard, 24-hour police guard outside, which is funded by human rights groups. There are cameras all over the house, um, and they have to kind of monitor their own home at all times, and their cars are bulletproof. So this is really the, the legacy of Biden that he is boasted of. The legacy is children in cages on the border environmental activists being tormented and assassinated, uh, people being driven into ruin, doctors being driven out of their jobs, people being dying because the healthcare system has collapsed. And one of the most corrupt leaderships in the world, which is still being propped up by the US. Uh, we talked at the beginning of this interview about Juan Orlando Hernandez being accused in a US federal court of narco trafficking. Well, guess what? Juan Orlando Hernandez was in Washington last week he met with the general secretary of the Organization of American States, Luis Almagro, who spends half his time pushing regime change in Venezuela. And guess what they talked about? Efforts to fight drug trafficking. And Juan Orlando Hernandez left Washington a free man. No one laid a hand on him. It's an absolute farce what's, what's, 
what's taking place in Honduras. And we hear so little about the uprising of people who have elected to stay in their country and fight for their future. And speaking of farce, you know, we have the irony of the U.S. basing its coup attempt in Venezuela on the fact that it says it doesn't recognize the last Venezuelan presidential election, which the opposition boycotted. Meanwhile, it's recognizing a transparently fraudulent uh, presidential election in Honduras with now an accused narco-trafficker uh, president. Yeah, uh, the election was ruled a fraud by the Organization of American States, it sent, which is, uh, uh, again, I mean, I've, I've been emphasizing how the OAS is such a tool of U.S. empire in the region, and even they recognized it as a fraud. They said the numbers didn't add up. It was statistically impossible that Hernandez could have won. And the Trump administration decided to recognize the election anyway, while calling the 2018 election in Venezuela, which was ruled free and fair by the former Spanish Prime Minister Zapatero, as well as CARICOM, the Organization of Caribbean States, and AFRICOM, the organization, not AFRICOM, the African Union, the Union of African States, as free and fair. Uh, the US's problem with that election was that Maduro won while their puppets in the opposition boycotted. So, you know, it's it's really important and it's not what aboutery to compare what's happening in Honduras to what is happening in Nicaragua or Venezuela and to really see Honduras and to an, a, a certain extent Colombia as the US model for Latin America, what it seeks to do to Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, and countries that attempt to be independent. And it's recognized in those countries, that's why they are resisting these regime change operations so staunchly. They don't wanna become the next Honduras. Um, they don't want to have the International American Development Bank and the IMF ram a shock therapy down their throats. I should actually correct myself. It was not the entire Venezuelan opposition that boycotted the last presidential election. Oh, it was elements of the far-right opposition, but more moderate elements uh, uh, participated, including Emery Falcone. And we recently interviewed one of Falcone's advisors, uh, Francisco Rodriguez, who is now warning of a famine in Venezuela as a result of uh, U.S. sanctions. So it, it's not true that the uh, elections were totally boycotted. They were just boycotted by the most far-right elements of the opposition. And in fact, I, uh, Henry Falcone reportedly was threatened with, by the U.S. with sanctions if he went ahead with participating in the elections, which he, to his credit, ignored the U.S. and took part in those elections anyway. Yeah, you can't make that point enough. The U.S. tried to delegitimize Venezuela's election by threatening one of the major opposition figures with sanctions if he participated. The U.S. was trying to destroy democracy in Venezuela, and now um, the head of the Constituent Assembly in Venezuela, Diosdado Cabello, is considering calling um, National Assembly elections, new elections, which the Venezuelan right-wing U.S.-backed opposition is now calling a plot. So they're basically calling elections a plot, an evil plot. And you can, so you can see their respect for democracy, uh, along with the fact that they attempted a military coup on April 30th. Well, speaking of military coups, I want to ask you a final question going back to Honduras. Uh, I want to play a clip to you from an interview that our colleague, Anya Parapil, did of Manuel Zelaya, the, the, the ousted former president of Honduras, where he told her about the threat he received from the Bush administration. George W. Bush, 
presidente de Estados Unidos. Me lo dijo John Dimitri Negroponte. Me lo dijo el embajador Ford y otro funcionario. Si usted, así me dijo Bush con estas palabras, usted no puede tener relaciones con Hugo Chávez. John Dimitri Negroponte, subsecretario de Estado, me dijo, si usted firma el ALBA, va a tener problema con Estados Unidos. So that's Manuel Zelaya uh, telling our colleague Anya Parampil of the Gray Zone that he was basically warned by the Bush administration not to have ties to Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. But the irony, Max, is that ultimately uh, Zelaya is not overthrown by Bush. He's overthrown by Obama and Biden, thus putting Biden in the position to impose the privatization schemes that we've been talking about on Honduras. Absolutely. Uh, it, was a, there was, it was a bipartisan program. He was overthrown because he embraced the, and this, and Zelaya was, you know, not a socialist at the time. He was considered a liberal, but he was also a nationalist. And he recognized that the ALBA development program funded through Venezuela's oil profits was good for his country. Um, I really would recommend anyone who's interested in the, more in Honduras um, to watch our interview, me and Ben Norton at Moderate Rebels with Gerardo Torres, who's one of the leaders of the left-wing resistance to the U.S. coup regime in Honduras and is very close to Zelaya. And he speaks about how ALBA fueled uh, the, the economy in Honduras and how small business owners were able to purchase new equipment with the microloans they were getting, just how this was a golden era. And it lasted essentially for a year or two until Zelaya was removed. Um, immediately, violent crime rose to record levels. Honduras is now one of the most dangerous countries on earth and uh, extreme poverty doubled. Uh, crimes against the most vulnerable people in Honduras have reached record levels. And as Zelaya described it, it's the law of the jungle. And we have to look at this holistically. We have to look at the whole region. We have to look at um, what's happened across South America, particularly in Brazil, where Lula da Silva was jailed as the result of a parliamentary coup. Um, you know, Zelaya was jailed and kidnapped and removed in a military coup. Uh, we saw a parliamentary coup against Dilma Rousseff and then Lula da Silva through the car wash uh, operation, which is just a, a phony corruption investigation, which has been confirmed as phony through the communications that were leaked to Glenn Greenwald at The Intercept um, that show that the prosecutor Sergio Moro was actually providing, sorry, that Sergio Moro was actually providing instructions to the prosecutor. He's now Yair Bolsonaro's attorney general, I think. And, you know, let's look at the effect of these coup attempts, these regime change uh, operations. You know, in Honduras, you have a migration crisis. You have a social catastrophe. In Brazil right now, the lung of the world, the Amazon jungle, is on fire at record rates as a direct result of Bolsonaro's policy to open up the Amazon to landowners and the cattle industry, which funded his campaign. Um, so let's, let's look at the political context here. Where there's smoke, there's fire. All right, Max Blumenthal, senior editor of The Gray Zone, author of many books, including his latest, The Management of Savagery. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thank you.